really hard during that song not to be like, rise above it. You know, don't you just want to do that? That kind of dance like a big mosh pit or something like that. Let's do it right now. What do y'all think? Let's have fun while Randy's gone. This is the sixth message in our series, Rise Above It. And in the series, you've gotten a little bit of Randy, you've gotten a little bit of Thomas, and now you're going to get a little bit of me. And uh, Randy is recovering well from his shoulder surgery, so we look forward to him being back in full swing really soon. I know. We're really excited. It wasn't just that little rotator cuff stuff. He had like a big, massive thing happen. I don't know. Scary. So we laid a foundation in uh, this series that goes something like this. We've said that we all know that what we do ultimately determines who we become. The things that we do on a regular basis, our habits and our practices, they mold us and they shape us and they determine who it is the person that we become. Healthy habits and practices cause us to become healthy people, but unhealthy habits cause us to become unhealthy people. And this is true in the physical realm. Uh, we see it very clearly in that realm, but it's also, it's also mentally and emotionally, uh, spiritually and relationally. But there's something else at play in this equation as well. You see, too often we try to change the what we are doing because we want a better who to result, but we just find that it's really, really hard to change the what a lot of times. We often fail at it. And that's because what we are doing isn't really the main problem. It's really just a symptom of the, the main problem. And when we look deeper, we discovered that the core issue that's there, the core problem is perspective. Perspective, it's how we see things, it's how we interpret things, how we interpret life. And our perspective, it drives our values, our emotions, our attitudes, which all ultimately determine what we do and then ultimately who we become. And the message in God's word in the Bible, it isn't that we are bad people doing bad things, so we better shape up. A lot of people think that's the message of the Bible, but it's not. The message of God's word is that we are people with a perspective problem. You know, we're people who are not seeing things as they truly are. Our understanding is darkened. And so God invites us to, to step into the light, the light of the truth, the truth about himself and what it is that he's really like, who he really is, and the truth about ourselves and how it is that, that we were designed and created to live this life. So the creator, he invites us to embrace a new perspective on life. And today we're gonna kinda drill in and we're gonna zero in more specifically on a new perspective he wants us to have on doing good, doing good. Just a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to the followers of Christ that were living in a region called Galatia, which today is, is the, in the country of Turkey. And in his letter, he wrote these words to those Galatians. He said, um, let's not get tired of doing good. Let's not get tired of doing good, he says to them. Now I just wonder, has anyone here ever gotten tired of doing good, doing good deeds. Anybody, like, I'm going to pull Randy on you. Raise your hands. If you said, I knew you were missing him, and I knew you've been missing raising your hands, so I'm going to give you the opportunity. Raise your hands if you ever get tired of doing good. I mean, have you ever felt like, man, I am done. I'm done doing good. You know, I do good for my family, and they don't appreciate it. I do good for the neighbors. They don't thank me for it. You know, I'm done with this whole, you know, serving thing at the church or my team or, or volunteering at that organization. I'm tired of doing good at work. What thanks do I get? Nobody appreciates me. Anybody ever feel like that? 
sometimes maybe? Well, today's message is about rising above. Rise above growing tired of doing good. And I think I have a big challenge right off the bat. My big challenge is this, to get you to care. To get you to care. I mean, I'm serious. Like, we're going to take a whole message to talk about not getting tired of doing good. Seriously? You know, you're probably getting tired just thinking about having to sit through this message, aren't you? Already. It's like, checking out. And I'm guessing most all of us, we need to start with a change in our perspective about just how important this idea of doing good really is. So I'm going to start with a story about a woman named Tabitha. This is a true story. Tabitha lived a couple thousand years ago, and her amazing story is recorded in, in the scriptures in the book of Acts in the ninth chapter. And Tabitha, the scriptures tell us that she lived in a town on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a town at that time called Joppa. I think the town today is called Jaffa, something similar. And she was a follower of Christ, the scriptures tell us. Um, just, just like many others, she believed that Jesus really was resurrected from the dead after his crucifixion. And that he really was the Messiah, the one who had come to reveal to us what God really is like and to rescue us from just a life of, of deterioration and destruction. In the recorded story, it tells us that Tabitha had become very sick and it actually says that she died. And as was custom, they, the, the people, they washed her body and then they laid her body in this upstairs room before burial. And some of the other followers of Christ, they had heard that the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples when he was on this earth, the main 12 that he hung out with, he was in this nearby town. So they sent two men to just urge Peter to come. And Peter did. And when he arrived, he went upstairs and, and what he found is that there were all these widows Widows, women who had lost their husbands, they were alone, destitute, so vulnerable in the world of their day. And these, women, these widows were standing around Tabitha's dead body and they were just crying and crying, of course. But as they cried, they were showing Peter these, these robes and all these pieces of clothing that Tabitha had made for them. Well, Peter sent them all out of the room and he, and he got down on his knees and he prayed. And then turning toward the dead woman, he says, Tabitha, get up get up. And the scriptures tell us that she opened her eyes and she sat up and that Peter took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. And then he called in all the other followers, especially those widows, and he presented her to them fully alive. A resurrection from the dead. Now Tabitha was one of only two people raised from the dead by Jesus's apostles. The scriptures tell us about how the Apostle Paul also raised a young man from the dead. But why? Why Tabitha? What was so special about this woman? Well, we only get one small little piece of information about what this woman was like. One, one little verse. In verse 36 of chapter 9, it says this. In the city of Joppa, there was a follower named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. That's it. That's it. It didn't say she was always being good. It said that she was always doing good, and there's a big difference between those two. You know, too often, too many people kind of think that the Christian life, it's just all about being good. You know, it's about all the things that we don't do. Just behave yourself. You know, don't drink or smoke or chew or hang with the boys who do. You know, that's what they taught me growing up in West Virginia. That's how it was. 
But what's the point of that? What's the point? If life is about being good without doing good, then what are we good for? We're good for nothing. Good for nothing. And being good, being good is about me. But doing good is about other people. You see, good deeds are actions that benefit someone else. Doing good, it requires a recipient. It's someone needs to be on the receiving end of a good action for it to be good deeds. Doing good is a very relational thing. And this relational thing is so, so very important to God that he chose Tabitha, the woman described as always doing good, to be the person that he would empower Peter to raise from the dead and then have her story recorded in his word, preserved for thousands of years so that right here today we could read about her and that we could perhaps have a change in our perspective on just how incredibly important doing good is. Now, before we go any further, I gotta, I gotta make something really, really clear. Doing good isn't important because it's our ticket to heaven. You know, and, and that's a common belief that people have today. That, that so many think in some terms of some kind of like a heavenly scale, you know, and they say, well, if my good deeds, if they outweigh my bad deeds, well, well then I'm going to be allowed into heaven. So I'm just trying to do more good than I do bad. But that's not at all what the scriptures teach us. Not at all. Not even close. Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you came to understand who Jesus is and, and believe in him and trust in him. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. And then, so important right here, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Salvation is so much more than, than what we tend to, to understand. I mean, salvation isn't, it's not just about getting into heaven one day. You know, when I die, I get to go to heaven. I've been saved. Oh, it's about so much more. It's about being rescued. Rescued from a way of life that is darkened in its understanding and therefore destructive. A way of life that's completely counter to the way that we've been designed to live. So we're rescued when we return to our creator, Christ Jesus, and we choose to trust him and follow him. Then, then we're saved, we're rescued from what our life could have been. All the, all the destruction. Salvation is just as much about life here and now as it is the eternal life to come. And the scriptures clearly say it is not about a reward for the good things we've done. It's about being rescued. Rescued by a God who loves us so much that he would come to the earth as one of us so that we could see and know how good and trustworthy he is and that he's even willing to die for us to demonstrate the depth of his love for us. We don't do good deeds to get saved. We do good because we've been rescued by a good and a loving God. And so Paul writes to the Galatians, the Galatian followers of that day, and he writes to us today, Let's not get tired of doing good. I need a little drink here. I just spent um, two weeks out in Las Vegas. Las Vegas. I was visiting my aunt, my Aunt Wanda, who is my mom's twin sister. It's Wilma and Wanda. How do you like that? Wilma Dean and Wanda Jean, to be exact. <laughs> and if you think that's funny, they have twin brothers. Two sets of twins born 16 months apart in the 30s, and their brothers are Larry Linville and Gary Glenville. <laughs> and then my mom married a twin, 
My dad's twin, and then I, they had twins. Isn't that crazy? Crazy, now you know the whole twin <laughs> craziness. So I'm out visiting Aunt Wanda, but it was nothing like you would imagine a trip to Las Vegas uh, to be like. Um, we did play a little bit of bingo here and there, but mainly it was two weeks of cleaning and organizing and painting and rearranging. About six trips to the Goodwill and a trip to the dump. It was kind of like being on an episode of an HDT series, you know, I absolutely loved it. I loved it. Um, let me tell you, I was tired. I was tired every night when my head hit that pillow. But I share that with you to say, I don't think that's the kind of tired Paul was talking about when he said, let's not get tired. I think he was speaking of a different kind of tired. I think he's speaking more of something that's internal, you know, kind of a mental and emotional tiredness. Other versions of the Bible, they use the word weary. Do not get weary in doing good. And I think that really gives us a feel for what he's talking about. It's when we just, we're just so tired, we just wanna give up, just walk away. That's it, I'm done doing good. I'm done doing good. And it's that kind of tiredness that begs the question, why? Why do we get tired of doing good? I mean, physically, physically tired, that's, that's easy to understand. You know, our bodies can only take so much. But, but what is the cause of this mental and emotional kind of tiredness that, that sometimes, you know, can result from our doing good? Well, for a couple of weeks, I pondered this and I prayed about it and I sat down with Randy and we talked about it. And I landed on what I think are three big perspective problems that we tend to have when it comes to doing good. So let's unpack these three big perspective problems. I think one big problem is a motivation problem. Motivation problem. And it's not that we lack motivation, but rather we're being driven by the wrong motivation. What are you talking about, Kim? What are some wrong motivations? Well, sometimes our motivation in doing good, it's to earn God's favor. You know, if I do good, then God will do good to me in return. Doing good will get God on my side and off my back. You know, he'll answer my prayers and he'll give me the things that I want. Sometimes our motivation is during the favor of people. You know, if I do good deeds, people will like me. And, and then people will say nice things about me and they'll think nice things about me. They'll think well of me. And, and so I'm all doing it to, to, to receive the praise of people or just for people to like me. And then sometimes our motivation for doing good, it's, it's kind of simply to feel better about ourselves. We're trying to work out something inside our souls that just isn't well. Maybe it's a sense of guilt and shame that we carry for the bad things in our past. And, and we're just so hoping that somehow doing good can undo the bad we've done, make up for it somehow. Or maybe we're trying to gain some kind of sense of value and worth. You know, we grew up in a home where we didn't get, we weren't given what we need. Unconditional love and a sense of value. And instead, we got the message that more love is to be earned. You better perform well or you're not going to get my love. And we got the message over and over again that in some way we're just sort of a disappointment. You know, a failure. So now our doing good, we may not realize it, but it's really about trying to kind of prove something to ourselves, you know, I do, I do have value, I do have worth, and just, just kind of trying to work out my own mess inside. As a pastor and author, Tim Keller says, sometimes our doing good is about trying to create a self-esteem resume because we are desperate to fill our sense of inadequacy and emptiness. 
when you and I, when we start with the wrong motivation, an unhealthy motivation, we are sure to get very tired of doing good very, very quickly. So a second problem I think we sometimes have is an expectation problem. You know, we expect something in return for doing good. Sometimes it's sort of a quid pro quo thing. You know, if I do good for you, then you must do good for me. You owe me now. We got to keep the balance, you know, here. But I think what most of us can relate to goes something more like this. If I've done something good, then I deserve a little bit of appreciation for that. And how about a thank you, right? I mean, it is really hard to keep doing good when you're not appreciated or thanked, isn't it? One of my favorite things to do is make dinner for friends of mine. Um, and, and, and when I'm, maybe it's because when I make dinner, this, I hear things like this. Mmm, this is so good. Oh my goodness, you're such a good cook. Thank you so much for making us dinner. This was so nice of you to do. I mean, it just makes me want to make dinner all the time, right? You get that kind of a feedback. But what about the mom or dad who makes dinner day in and day out for the family? They're not hearing things like that, are they? They're hearing things like, oh, meatloaf again? It's burnt on the bottom. I don't like peas. You know? They eat it as if they're being tortured, and then they escape the table as quickly as possible. No thank you. No appreciation for the time and the effort you put into preparing a meal for your family. Think they get a little tired? I guarantee it. And we will surely become tired of doing good if we expect or need appreciation or gratitude um, for our good doing. It's just going to happen. The last big problem that we have when it comes to doing good is what I'm going to call a preservation problem. Preservation problem. Have you ever had someone warn you about doing good? It's kind of like, be careful. Don't let people take advantage of you. Don't let people use you. You know, they'll get all they can out of you. Don't let them. And the message is protect yourself. Protect yourself. A little bit of good is okay, but don't do too much. And it's, if, it's as if every time we do something good, there's a withdrawal made from our account. You know, there, there's perhaps a financial withdrawal. There's a time withdrawal. Two hours to do that. Or there's an energy withdrawal. Or there's this emotional withdrawal. Doing good means something's being taken from me, from my life supply. So I better be careful or I won't have enough for myself. Self-preservation kicks in. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be selfish? It, it, it just comes so natural, right? It comes so natural from the very beginning of our lives. I mean, we are born these selfish little creatures. Do little kids need to learn how to be selfish and say, mine? Does anybody teach them that? No, they just, that, that, that's natural. They need to be taught the opposite, how to be unselfish, how to share with other people. And even as adults, our natural tendency is toward this selfishness. Take care of me. Look out for me. We don't have this selfish tendency because we're bad people. We have this selfish tendency because we're scared people. We're scared. I mean, this is a big, bad world we live in, you know? So we're afraid, we're afraid we don't have enough that we will need for ourselves. Doing good feels like some kind of a withdrawal, and I need to protect myself, you know? 
And I think we don't really recognize this tendency towards self-preservation because we don't call it that today. That's not something we talk about, yet there is this new term in our society today, a term that we've totally bought into, and we see it as something good, and I don't think we have any idea of the damage that it's doing to our souls. Law professor and technology expert Tim Liu, he says this, he speaks of the most powerful force shaping our individual lives and our economies. Wow, that's a big statement. He's referring to something being the most powerful force shaping our lives. Well, man, what is, what is this powerful force shaping our lives? Convenience. Convenience. I mean, convenience reigns supreme today, doesn't it? It's practically worshipped. We want things as quickly as possible and as easily as possible so that it doesn't take too much from us, right? Tim Liu goes on to say this. He says, convenience seems to make our decisions for us. Easy is better, easy is best. With its promise of smooth, effortless efficiency, it threatens to erase the sort of struggles and challenges that help give meaning to life. Created to free us, listen to this, it can become a constraint on what we are willing to do. Good deeds, right? And thus, in a subtle way, it can enslave us. And when we let convenience decide everything, we surrender too much. I think convenience is just another form of self-preservation today. Easy and convenient, they protect me. Less withdrawals are made on my life, and so I can hold on to more. And I need to hold on to more because I'm scared. I'm scared I won't have enough. And if convenience is making our decisions for us, then the only good we will do is that which is quick and easy, right? That which requires little time and little energy. That which makes only a small withdrawal from our lives. Three big perspective problems we have when it comes to doing good. Motivation, expectation, self-preservation. This past week, um, I was, when I was reading the Bible, my life application study Bible, it's the same Bible that we uh, provide for sale here for your convenience. Convenience, look at that, I just used that word. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, in the store. <laughs> That's like a good convenience though, right? Because you can follow it on the door and then we have it in your hands. Anyhow, in the Gospel of John chapter one, down in the notes, it said something that really struck me. Faith in Christ changes us from the inside out, and this is my favorite part, rearranging our attitudes, desires, and our motives. Rearranging, I love that word. And, and it hit me so much because I'm like, that is exactly my life. That is what I have experienced in my life as I've trusted in Christ, when I came to trust in Him, and then even over the years, I, when, as I realized His ways are the best ways, it has literally rearranged my attitudes, my desires, and my motives. So let's consider then the new perspective, our trust in Christ, how he wants to rearrange our perspective when it comes to motivation. Okay, let's go back through these three primaries again, motivation for doing good. So let's look at the motivation God wants to give us, new perspective on that for our doing good. So I'm gonna show you some pictures. I'm just a little uh, classroom audience participation here, right? Okay, so let's take a look at something here. What is that? Lawnmower, that's right, it's not a trick. What is a lawnmower designed to do? 
cut grass, right? Cut grass. In 1827, Edwin Budding created the first lawnmower and he designed it to cut grass. That was its purpose. And every lawnmower since then that's been built and created, it cuts grass. What about this? Vacuum cleaner. What was a vacuum cleaner? What's it designed to do? Someone last year said vacuum. <laughs> Suck up dirt, right? In 1860, Daniel Hess created the first vacuum cleaner and he designed it to suck up dirt and every vacuum cleaner now made designed the same way. What about this one? Oh, I don't know how he got in there. That's my dog. He's just designed to be cute. That's Buster. And I just felt the need. It's been a long time since I put a dog picture up and so I just threw it in there. <laughs> Thanks. I couldn't come up with a story, so I just, I'll just put his picture up there. Okay, how about this one, though? Last one. People. Human beings. What are human beings designed for? Well, the scriptures tell us. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this. God has made us what we are. God created us and made us what we are. And then it says, and in our union with Christ Jesus, our creator, as we trust him and we're connected to him through trust, he has created us for a life of what? Good deeds. Not just to do some good deeds, but for a life of good deeds. Another version says, God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. The way, good deeds. It's a way of life, not just sprinkled here and there. You and I and every human being who has ever walked this planet, we've been designed by a loving creator to do good deeds. That's what we were made for. Not to just be good, but to do good. It's part of our DNA. It's how we were created. We are designed to do good. And we are never more fully human and fully alive. We're never more our true selves than we are when we are doing the good that we were created to do. Now, here's what I think is just fascinating. There's all kinds of research out today that's been done on how doing good is good for us. I mean, research shows how serving, volunteering, helping others, it all benefits us, the doer. In the Huffington Post, it ran an article that gave these seven big reasons why doing good is good for us. And it actually was speaking of scientific research that shows this good. And it breaks it down like this, these seven things. One is that it, it increases our happiness, increases in the studies have shown that part of our brain actually lights up when we serve others. Then it doles out feel-good chemicals like dopamine and serotonin that help us feel joy and delight. Studies have shown this. Number two, it reduces stress. Studies have proven when we help others, our bodies actually release a hormone called oxytocin, which buffers stress and helps us maintain social trust and tranquility. We could go through the others, but we'll just mention them. Studies have shown it relieves pain, that we have a longer lifespan. It actually lowers blood pressure, reduces mild depression. And in this article, they talked about the benefits for our career because we have a much more positive attitude toward our career. Doing good is good for us. Today's research proves that there's evidence for it, and it's for what King Solomon said or wrote some several thousand years ago, probably 3,000 years ago. King Solomon was the man who was given this tremendous gift by God, the gift of wisdom, wisdom, and he wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I know that there is nothing better for us. There's nothing better for us 
than to be joyful and to what? Do good throughout our lives. A, a way of life. Doing good throughout our lives. So God is inviting us to embrace a new perspective on our motivation. Doing good is good for us because it's what we were made for. So do you want to be healthy and happy? Then do good. Just do good. Live a life of good deeds. We're designed to do good. And then God's also inviting us to embrace a new perspective on our expectations. You know, we started this message with the Galatians 6, 9 verse, what Paul said. He said, let's not get tired of doing good. But I left off the, the second half of that. The verse goes on to say this, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. You see, we may not get the praise, the appreciation, the gratitude that we expect or we want for our good deeds, but God promises that in time, maybe not immediately, but in time, there will be a harvest if we don't give up. He's telling us that good will come out of our good doing. Good will come out of our good doing. We may not see it immediately. As a matter of fact, we may never be aware of it, but good will come from our good deeds. We've talked about some of the good that comes from our doing good already in terms of ourselves, right? I mean, the research that shows it makes us happier and healthier people. So we benefit, that's a good that comes out of our good. But let's remember also what we said, that good deeds are actions that benefit someone else. There's a recipient on the other end. Others benefit, good comes to them. And there's the tangible benefit of the good deed, you know, maybe it's the meal we made that helped them so much or the money we gave that helped them so much, the chore we did. But often, so often, there's this, this deeper intangible benefit. Sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we can see it, sometimes we can't. But it's the benefit of a person just feeling like they matter to somebody. You know, that somebody cared and someone sees them as valuable worthwhile. Sometimes what might seem like just a very small and inconsequential good deed, man, it can have profound impact on a person's soul. Like in the case of Lenny, a guy named Lenny. There was this young manager named Steve who decided he would visit each of his employees, and Lenny was one of his employees. And even though they worked on the same floor, he had not seen them face to face in over six months. So he decided, you know what? I'm gonna to go to each one of them. I'm gonna tell them how much I appreciate them. And then I'm gonna name one good thing, something they do excellently. So the day after this seemingly simple and small good deed that Steve did, his software engineer, uh, Lenny, came to him and he gave him an Xbox. And Steve was kind of taken aback, especially especially when he learned that the money had come from the sale of a pistol that Lenny had bought at a pawn shop and intended to use to kill himself. Lenny told him of his mother's death the previous year and, and of his ensuing just loneliness and depression. And he said, I started a routine every night of eating a bowl of ramen noodles, listening to Nirvana, and then getting the gun out kind of holding it in my hand and getting comfortable with it. And he said, for the last few weeks, I was putting ever so slight pressure on the trigger and I was getting so close, Steve, so close, so close. He says, and then last week you freaked me out. You came into my cubicle, cubicle put your arm around me and you told me you appreciated me. 
because I turn in all my projects early. And then you said that I have a great sense of humor over email and that you're glad I came into your life. He said that night when I, I got home and, and I got the gun out, he said, it scared me silly for the first time. And all I could think about was what you said, Steve, that you were glad that I came into your life. So the next day I went back to the pawn shop and I sold the gun. I remember you said you wanted an Xbox. So for my life, here, you get this game. Thanks, boss. Man, the seemingly small and inconsequential good deed with profound, profound impact on a person's soul. God wants us to shift from expecting something in return for our good deeds to counting on something as a result of our good deeds. Can you catch that? He wants us to shift from expecting something in return for our good deeds to counting on something as a result of our good deeds. There may be no appreciation or gratitude, but God says in time, there will be a harvest. Good will come out of your good doing if we don't give up, it says, if we don't give up. So finally, let's consider the new perspective God wants to give us on this idea of self-preservation. We said that our tendency uh, is to see doing good as somehow it's taking from us. It, it, it's making a withdrawal from my account, from my personal supply. So I better be careful. You know, I won't have enough. But that's a perspective that's driven by fear, not by trust in our Creator. You see, when we trust in the Creator, we know that our Heavenly Father loves us and He knows what we need. Matthew chapter 6 speaks to this. And that he promises to supply every need that we have. Philippians 4 speaks of this. We no longer live in fear and we no longer are driven by self-preservation, that need to protect ourselves. We gain this new perspective on our doing good that dramatically changes us and our lives. Dramatically. You see, rather than seeing our, going, our doing good as, as taking something from us, as diminishing us and make a, making us weak and vulnerable, we begin to see our doing good as something that adds to us, something that develops us and actually makes us stronger. We become people who are kind of built up and stronger with this new capacity, a whole new capacity for love for loving the way that God loves. And that's what God's after. Ephesians 5.1, it says, you are God's dear children, so try to be like him. We're made in his image, he, we're created to be like him. Live a life of love. Earlier we said a life of good deeds. Here, a life of love. Love others just as Christ loved us. How did he love us? He gave himself for us. So the scripture where it says, Christ, the creator, designed us for good deeds. Why? Why do good deeds matter so much to God? Because good deeds are what? They are tangible expressions of love. Nothing short of that. Tangible expressions of love. You can't love someone and not do good things for them. It's, it's impossible. Every time we do a good deed for someone, we are learning how to love the way God loves. So Christ is inviting us to just embrace a whole new perspective on doing good. Doing good doesn't diminish me, it develops me. Every good deed I do is a tangible expression of love. Good deeds transform me into the loving person that God has created me to be. The person I wanna be, the person I wanna be. 
during my uh, trip in Las Vegas, amidst all the work and so forth, Aunt Wanda always plan, you know, manages to uh, plan something really fun and interesting and different. So um, this time she took me to a restaurant called Blackout. Blackout, dinner in the dark. Anybody ever heard of it? Dinner in the dark. So it, it was wild from the lobby. We were carefully escorted. We were, we were met by our waitress in the lobby who was wearing night vision goggles. And then we did a Congo line into this complete darkness uh, where we were served a seven course meal. And I, I, I do have a picture of us at the table. There it is. <laughs> Best picture I've ever taken. <laughs> so the waitress, it was just so disorienting the, the entire time because the waitress would suddenly show up, but we didn't know she was there until she spoke and it would just startle us every time. And then we were like, how long have you been standing there? You know, and, and there would already be plates in front of us. Like one plate would be gone, another one come and we we're like, when did that happen? So it was kind of creepy, really. And she put the plate down and she would describe the shape of the plate and we would feel the shape of the plate. And then she would describe the food and, and coach us on how to eat it. And I don't know, sometimes you were supposed to stab something and I was just grabbing like this and just, it was just, salad was hard. That was much, yeah. Anyhow, it was an interesting evening. It was very fun. But basically it was quite expensive, very expensive. So basically my aunt paid a whole lot of money for us just to fumble around in the darkness for a night. Well, as we said at the start of this, you know, the message in the Bible isn't that we're bad people doing bad things and we better shape up. The message is that we are people fumbling in darkness, darkened understanding of truth, of reality, of God and life. And it's because we have, the, we have this perspective problem, fumbling in the darkness. But God, you know, today he has shined his light of truth so that we can see and we can embrace a whole new perspective on this idea of doing good, something that's just so simple, and yet it's so powerful and so important. And the new perspective he gives us that we are designed to do good. The more good things we do, the healthier and happier we are, the more whole we are. We don't need to be caught up in that expectation trap, needing appreciation or gratitude, because instead we can count on a harvest. We can count on, God says, good will come out of our doing good. And far from taking from us or diminishing us, good deeds develop us. Our good deeds are tangible expressions of love that are transforming us, changing us into truly loving people, just like Christ, our creator. So let me close with some other words from Paul in a letter that he wrote to a man named Titus. He gave this encouragement. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus gave himself for us to set us free from every sin and to cleanse us so that we can be his special people who are enthusiastic about doing good things. The last part, enthusiastic. Not that we can just be people who do good things, but we can be enthusiastic about doing good things. And, and I tell you, that's my prayer today. My, my hope and my prayer is that every single one of us, as we leave here today, we, we haven't just been enlightened with some truth, but we are enthusiastic about the truth, the light that God has shed on this subject. And we will be enthusiastic from this day forward about doing good things. So as the Apostle Paul said to the pe people in Galatia some 2,000 years ago, I say to you here in Frederick today, let's not get tired of doing good.
Let's not let it happen. Let's not get tired of doing good. Let's pray. Lord, um, how we just thank you. How we thank you for the scriptures and, and the truth that you give us that, that can just completely rearrange us on the inside and help us to see and understand life, understand ourselves, understand you in a whole new way. So how I pray, each one of us, that we really will embrace this new perspective on doing good and that we'll really just let it sink in and let it motivate us every day that we're designed to do good and it makes us healthy. And we'll get rid of that expectation, that need for appreciation and gratitude. We'll like it when it comes, it's good, but we won't need it. And that we'll just count on the harvest that you have planned. And God, may we really, oh, may it really just really sink in that as we do good deeds, it develops us. It doesn't take anything from us. And it makes us more loving people. And how I just pray that we as a church, we will become loving people, people who love like you by serving our community, serving our families, doing good whenever and wherever we can. And I pray this in Jesus' name.